Uh, good morning. You guys can go ahead and open your Bibles to Romans chapter 10. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 17 today. <clears throat> That's Romans 10, verses 12 through 17. Uh, we're finishing today, we're finishing our series, Who We Are. Uh, and the sermon today is related to what I preached last week about the fact that our work in the Lord matters and that we are to all uh, do the work of the Lord. And in light of that, this morning we will be considering the topic of evangelism. We are a church that is committed to doing the work of evangelism. Now, evangelism is one of the most important things that, that, uh, that the church has been commissioned to do by our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus has commanded that his church make disciples of the nations. He's commanded that we go out into the world and declare his gospel and compel them to come in to his great feast of salvation. Um, he's commanded that we go forth with the message of salvation, preaching to all men with the desire to see the world converted one sinner at a time. The work of evangelism is the top priority of the church. I would, I would make that argument. It is the absolute top priority of the church. And this, I think, has been understood by Christians throughout the ages. Right? That's why we call it the Great Commission. Right? We've always understood this is the thing. Right? If we do nothing else, we are, are seeking to make disciples of all the nations. Right? It is the Great Commission. It's the greatest thing, the single greatest task that the Lord Jesus has given us. So evangelism, preaching the gospel to the world, is the great work of the church, and so it is to be the great work of this church, right? It's pretty easy to connect that. It's to be the great work of this church. Brothers and sisters, a, a, a quick thing just for me being your pastor. If we're known, if we do nothing else as a congregation, I really mean this, right? And some of you, right? Because I'm like King Calvinist, right? If we, have, if we have no reputation for anything else, I want us to be known for evangelism. Honestly, I mean that. Before we're known for being the only Reformed church within 100 miles, I want people to, whenever they think of Covenant Reformed Baptist Church, to think of people who are bold to evangelize more than anything else. And now, granted, that comes with the territory of being Reformed. Uh, contrary to uh, popular myths. Um, but I pray that we would be known uh, for having members who are constantly and faithfully declaring the gospel to the world around us. And I want that for us because it is what our Lord has commanded of us. But for clarity, what is evangelism? Well, here's a summary. Right? Evangelism is to declare the gospel to declare what Jesus Christ has done to save sinners, to declare what God in Christ has done to save sinners. It is to, here, here's the kicker, to use words to communicate the message of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Right, that's what, to, to evangelize, right? Euangelion, good news, to be a herald of good news, to use words to tell people of salvation through faith in Christ. To evangelize is to, to declare the kingdom, the, rather the gospel of the kingdom. That the kingdom of God has been established in the first coming of the Lord Jesus. That the king of this kingdom is the Lord Jesus. That his kingdom will endure forever and is destined to destroy all the kingdoms of this world. That all who are not part of this kingdom are destined to perish under the eternal wrath of God because they are sinful rebels against the king. But that the king... Jesus Christ has made a way for rebels to become citizens. And he has done this by putting away their sin, by putting away their rebellion in his life, death, and resurrection. And he promises to grant amnesty to all who repent of their sins and submit to him in faith as their Lord and Savior. That's evangelism. Now, real quick, evangelism is not telling people your testimony. Let me tell you what Jesus did for me. Let me tell you who I was and where I am. That can be part of it. I'm not telling you not to, not to tell your own testimony, but that is not declaring the message of what Christ objectively did. Telling your subjective personal message is not the same thing as telling what Christ objectively did 2,000 years ago. Evangelism is also not just living a godly life in front of others, right? You've seen, you've heard people say this, right? 
Like, I'm just going to live a Christian life, and they're going to see that I'm different, and then they're going to ask me. I promise you'll die before it happens, right? They're not going to ask you. They're going to think, oh, you know, like, Jeff's a pretty good guy, and, like, that's about the end of it, right? They're not going to come and ask you. Why? Because the Bible says that they're actually rebel sinners against God and hate him. You have to tell them the gospel. And hear me, evangelism is not just inviting people to church, though that's good. Invite them to church to hear the preaching of the word of God. That's good, but that's not evangelism. Rather, evangelism is telling people the facts about Jesus Christ, the facts about his kingdom and their sin and the holiness of God and God's wrath against sinners and God's great mercy that he offers to sinners in Christ Jesus and then calling sinners to repent and believe on Christ. So that's your big 30,000-foot overview of evangelism. And listen, I would be more than happy to talk to each one of you in more detail if you feel like that you aren't sure of what the message is that we are to proclaim. But I would wager, especially if you've been a member here for any amount of time, you know what message we're supposed to tell people. You know the gospel. But it's common knowledge among Christians that we should be evangelizing others. Right? Most of the time, true or false, you hear, I'm going to preach on evangelism, and like you get a, like a, a knot in your gut, and you're like, oh no. Right? It's because you know you should be doing it. We know that we have an obligation to declare this message about Jesus, but what I want us to think through this morning is why. Why should we evangelize? Why should we be a church that is so focused on evangelism? And just real quick, we could answer that with, I could preach a sermon on this, because God said so. And that would be enough. I I hope you see that. You are under sacred obligation to God. You have a sacred duty to him as a creature, uh, let alone as a redeemed creature, (laughs) to do whatever he says. Right? It is your obligation. If he gives you no other, just real quick, if you're ever reading through the Bible and God commands you to abstain from something or commands you to go and do something positively, and you say, well, I don't see why, though, that I should abstain. Because he said so. Because he's God and you're not. If we have nothing else, if there's no other reason that you can deduce from the scriptures, because he said so is good enough, right? We all got upset when our parents said it. Our parents could be fallible. Our parents do not have um, uh, complete, like omnipotent rights over us, right? So we buck that a little bit and say, well, that's not really a reason. But when God says, because I said so, that's actually a reason. Because he's God. So we, we we could just end there. But because God is so kind and gracious to us, He gives us more reasons. He gives us more reasons. He's very kind to do this. He doesn't have to, but out of grace, he gives us many reasons why we should obey his commandments. So then, what I want us to consider this morning are just some of the reasons that we should evangelize. And I want to be clear, what I'm going to say today are not all of the reasons that we should evangelize. There are more. But in considering why we should tell people the gospel, my prayer is that a fire would be stoked in our hearts to actually go out and do the work. After all, that is the purpose for which God gives us reasons for his commandments. He gives reasons to us in order to motivate our hearts to where we would have glad and joyful obedience. And we're going to see some of those reasons in Romans chapter 10, verses 12 through 17. And I I personally think that there are at least four different motivations for us to evangelize that are tucked away in these six verses. Uh, So that's where we're going this morning. We're going to answer the question, why should we be a people who are committed to evangelism? Uh, Now, with that said, if you would and are able, please stand with me now for the reading of the inspired, inerrant, and infallible word of God. Romans chapter 10, verses 12 through 17. The Apostle Paul writes, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our great God and Father, we come before you and ask that you would open our hearts to receive your word. 
Uh, Please open our minds to receive the scriptures that were just read. By your spirit, through your word, speak to us. Show us why we should evangelize. Show us all the things that we've been neglecting in this area of our lives as believers. We ask that you would convict us and show us our cowardice. Show us our laziness. Show us our apathy. And please, having shown us that, grant us repentance. And grant to us that we would see and cherish and take to heart the positive motivations that you've given us to do this work. Help us, we ask, in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so some context here, right? These verses didn't just drop out of the sky. They come to us in context. Paul is here discussing the fact that the Jewish people of his day were rejecting the gospel and looking to make themselves right with God by obedience to the law. That's what you'll see in chapter 10 of Romans. And in this chapter, Paul is showing that the Jews had been preached to and that the Old Testament pointed to Christ. And because of those things, the Jews have no excuse for rejecting Jesus. Paul is also explaining that in light of this rejection, the gospel has gone out to the Gentiles. That's kind of the big thing of chapters 10 and 11 of the book of Romans. But in the middle of this discussion, Paul tells us in simple terms how someone is saved, and then he goes on to speak of the necessity of preaching in order for people to be saved. So just real quick, while this text is immediately referring to the Jewish and Gentile people of Paul's day, it has very broad application and relevance for all people at all times, and that's how we're going to be looking at the text today, broadly. Verse 12, I believe, gives us the right to do so. It says that There is no distinction between Jew and Greek, right? That is Jews and Gentiles. If you're not a Jew, then you're a Gentile. This is talking about all people, and it says that they are all saved the same way, and so preaching is necessary for all people to be saved. It's broad, so that's how we're going to look at it. But the first answer to our question, why should we evangelize? The first answer is this, because there is no greater message. There is nothing better for you to declare. Let me read verses 12 and 13 again. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek. All are saved the same way. The Lord Jesus Christ bestows his riches of mercy on all who call on him, and all who call on him will be saved. I know we hear this a lot, because, especially if you've been a Christian for a while, but I hope you know this is the best news that you have ever heard. Absolutely is. And since it's the best news you've ever heard, this is the best news that you will ever be able to tell. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. This is good news, and this message is for everybody. Praise God, whether you are rich or poor, male or female, white or black, grew up in church or grew up pagan, are educated or uneducated, you get the point, it doesn't matter. This promise is indiscriminate. It is for the world. Whoever calls upon Christ will be saved. What does that mean? To call upon the Lord means to look to Jesus Christ in faith. It means that hearing about who Jesus is and what he has done to save sinners, that you believe, that you believe all of Christ's claims, that you believe that he is God come in the flesh as we're celebrating at this time of year, that he indeed did live a sinless life of perfect obedience to God, that he suffered God's wrath in your place on a cross and died for your sins, that you believe that. And then more than that, you believe that he was raised from the dead on the third day in order to vindicate his claims and as proof that he alone brings the forgiveness of sins. And believing, believing in him, you cry out to him to save you. Believing in him, you look to him alone for the forgiveness of your sins. You look to him alone for eternal life. You look only to him and not to yourself because you know that you can't save yourself. You know that you're too far gone and that Christ himself, God in the flesh, must be the one to save you. You look to him alone because you are convinced that only he can save you from your sins and the penalty of damnation that you deserve for them. You believe and believing you call upon him to save you. And then Paul says that all who do this will be 
saved. Oh, if you struggle with assurance of salvation, know this. All who call upon him will be saved. This promise is indiscriminate. It is for all who will believe and call upon him. They will be saved from the wrath of God that they deserve for breaking his law. They will be saved from an eternity in hell under the fierce anger of God. They will be saved from the guilt of their sins and set free to live a life to Christ. They will be saved from the power of sin so that they can present themselves as servants of Jesus Christ. Those who look to Christ in faith will be saved. Saved from sin and its tyranny, its power, and its penalty. Can you think of anything better? This is the best news. I'm laboring the point. I know that I am. I need you to see this. May God help us to see this. There's nothing better that we can declare to the world. There's nothing better that anyone could ever hear. This is a precious and glorious promise. The promise of salvation. There is no greater truth. There is no greater reality than salvation by grace apart from works through faith in Christ alone. Again, think about it for a moment. Like, we're, really, we're a bit callous to this, I think, sometimes, right? You, you ever have those moments where, like, the, the gospel hits you in a fresh way and it's as sweet as it was the day you first believed? I, I pray that that happens to all of us. Just consider it for a moment. God is pleased to save sinners through faith in his Son. The whole world lays in damnation under the wrath of God, but God has been pleased to save them, not through what they do, but through what his Son did for them. And that's what we get to announce to the world. When we evangelize, that's what we get to say. What a privilege that we have. I hope you see this as a privilege. You, a sinner who deserves the wrath of God, have not only been redeemed, but God says, since I've taken your unholy mouth and given you a holy one, now go and tell other sinners what I have done. What a privilege. He could say, I've saved you, and now you're too wretched. Just shut up and be grateful. Don't tell anybody my gospel is too good and too holy for you. But no, he says, my gospel is too good <laughs> for you, but I've given it to you, and now you go tell others. What a privilege that we've been given. We are unworthy to be saved by the gospel, let alone to tell others the gospel. But Jesus Christ tells us, go tell the message. It's a privilege. Get this into your heart. There's nothing better that you could possibly tell anyone ever. This is better news than telling someone that they have been healed of cancer. This is better news than telling someone that they have just inherited a billion dollars. This is better than telling someone that there is world peace and there will never again be war. This is better because when we evangelize, we're declaring God's promise of the forgiveness of sins and eternal life and fellowship with him to those who trust in his son. This promise is the ground of our evangelism. It, it is the foundation that we stand on in telling people the gospel, that God will save anyone who trusts in Christ. So why should you evangelize? Well, first, because you have the privilege of announcing the best news ever to the world. You get to, on behalf of God, declare peace with God and reconciliation with him through his son. We, get, we like to give people the good news, right, in general, in life. And in our evangelism, God tells us to go tell the greatest news in human history. So that's a very positive reason to evangelize. It's our pleasure and privilege to declare the good news, but we see in verses 14 and 15 a negative and sobering reason that we should evangelize. We're going to spend some time here, verses 14 and 15. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? After giving us this glorious truth that all who call upon Christ will be saved, Paul hits us with some cold, hard reality here. He says in verse 13 that it is absolutely necessary for someone to call upon Christ in order to be saved. There is no other way for anyone to be saved. Only Christ can save. There is no other name given, the apostle says in Acts, no other name given under heaven among men by which we can be saved except for Jesus Christ. 
And the sinner must believe, not in a generic God, but specifically in Christ as revealed in the gospel. And now Paul hits us with the reality that if sinners don't hear of Christ, they will not be saved. Here's Paul's logic in the verse. Just let me, let me line it out for you. Sinners cannot call upon Christ if they have not believed in him. And they cannot believe in him if they have never heard about him. And they cannot hear about him unless someone preaches to them. And someone cannot preach to them unless they have been sent. That is, unless someone goes to them with the message. So, if someone does not go and preach the gospel, then sinners will not hear and therefore cannot believe and call upon the Lord Jesus to save them. This is chilling logic. But it is absolutely airtight. Sinners will perish if they do not call upon Christ. They will perish if nobody tells them of the Christ they are to call upon and believe in. Why should you evangelize? Because sinners will go to hell if they do not believe the gospel, and they must be told it first. God has decreed. Please hear me. God has decreed. It has been his pleasure, his will, that he will not save people apart from the preaching of the gospel. He won't do it. He could. Right? God's sovereign. He can do whatever he wants. He could zap the gospel into the hearts of sinners if he wanted to, but he has not chosen to do that. He's chosen to use our preaching. So Christian, in a very real sense, if we do not preach the gospel, people will perish. Nobody will be saved if we do not preach Christ and him crucified to the world. Therefore, we have a real and abiding responsibility and obligation to both God and neighbor to preach to them. To preach the gospel to them so that they can be saved. Please hear me. From the apostles' logic in these two verses, we have no reason, no reason to believe that anyone will be saved if they don't first hear the gospel. We're actually forced to believe the opposite. That if someone doesn't hear and respond in faith, they will certainly spend eternity in hell. Now, I've anticipated a couple of objections here. Right, first objection that maybe some of you have. I hope you don't, but I want to cover my bases. If God predestines people to salvation, Pastor Dave, if God predestines people to salvation, then they don't have to hear the gospel to be saved because they've been predestined for salvation. Well, please hear me. If you're thinking that, uh, then listen, just a quick thing. Do you think it's weird that the apostle has just given a beautiful treatment on predestination and election in Romans chapter 9 and then says this in Romans chapter 10 and he doesn't see a contradiction, but you do. Just, just right off the rip. Don't you think that's a little bit weird that Paul doesn't see a contradiction here, but you think that you do? Rule number one in interpreting scripture, here's the first principle. The authors of scripture are not stupid and they don't contradict themselves, Right? Paul's not contradicting himself here. So if you think this objection is valid, just real quick, you don't understand predestination. Let me put it to you this way, and it's fairly simple. I was just talking to a brother about this yesterday. The God of the ends is also the God of the means. The God who has decreed someone's salvation, that is, he has elected them to eternal life, is also the same God who has decreed the means by which they will come to that end the means by which they will be saved. And clearly in Scripture, as we see in our text this morning, God has decreed that it is by the preaching of the gospel that he is pleased to save sinners. In eternity past, God chose his people that he will save, and at the same time, he decreed that it will be by the preaching of the gospel that he will draw his people out of the world and to faith in his Son. And then God gives the responsibility of preaching that gospel to his church. All that is to say... That God's sovereignty and salvation is not an excuse for our lack of evangelism. God is sovereign in salvation, and God has chosen to use our preaching to draw out his elect. And so we must preach. This is how, simply, as simply as I can put it, this is how God has been pleased to order things. Period. He is sovereign, and we still have the responsibility and obligation to preach the gospel. And just hear me. Right, because I don't think we have any hyper-Calvinists in our, in our midst, but they do exist and it can creep up uh, even amongst our ranks. Please, please hear me. I just want to throw this out to you. 
if, if you're trying to like out-theologize the Apostle Paul here, right? Well, I don't have to evangelize because what Romans 9 said? And you're going to ignore Romans 10 because you want to hyper-focus on Romans 9. Just hear me. If you refuse to evangelize, if you just outright refuse to evangelize, I question whether or not you're a Christian. Whether or not, I don't care how reformed that you think that you might be. If you refuse to evangelize, I doubt whether or not you're a Christian. And I say that because you're looking at a clear commandment from the word of God. You're looking Christ right in the face and saying, I will not obey you. You're you're, you're determining ahead of time, I will not do what Jesus is telling me to do here. And I'll just let you answer the question. You tell me, does that sound like the heart of someone who's been born again? Does that sound like someone who has been given new desires to love Christ and follow the Lamb wherever he goes? It doesn't. It doesn't. I question such a person's salvation just as I would question that of a man who looks at the seventh commandment and says, I refuse to obey. Now hear me, I want to be clear. Are you afraid to evangelize? But you want to? (laughs) That's not the same. That's different. To say, Lord, I'm afraid, I want to do it, but I don't know what to say. That's not the same thing. That's not what I'm talking about. To have a desire to do it, but a fear. To have a desire to do it, but feel like you're not prepared to do it. We can work with that. And the Lord promises help to those who are like that. But if you just straight up refuse, I must question whether or not you've been born again. I believe it was Charles Spurgeon who once said something like, Do you care nothing for the salvation of your neighbor? Then don't be so sure about your own. But let me address another error that often makes people think that they don't need to evangelize. And uh, this is a common error in many of our churches in our area that many of us grew up hearing. Some people believe that if someone never hears the gospel, then they get a free pass into heaven. Just a quick show of hands. Who, who believed that growing up? So I had the worst, most heretical church? Okay, a few of you. Uh, a few of you. Some people believe that if someone never hears about Jesus, then it would be unfair of God to send them to hell. And so if they never hear the gospel, they get a free pass into heaven. Right? So then if someone goes their whole life and has never had anyone tell them about Jesus, then they're going to go to heaven because they don't know any better. Brothers and sisters, that is a lie from the mouth of the devil. That is a lie. Satan is the cruel deceiver, and that is a cruel trick. The apostle blatantly and explicitly says that you must, there is no distinction, Jew or Greek, it doesn't matter. You must call upon the name of Christ in order to be saved, and you must hear him in order to call upon him. So those who never hear of him cannot be saved, period. And listen, just real quick, it's not unfair that such people will be damned alongside those who hear and reject the message. That's not unfair, and here's why. Sinners don't go to hell for not hearing the gospel. Sinners go to hell for sin. Sinners go to hell for their sin. And even the sinner who has never heard about Christ still has sinned and still deserves damnation. I recommend you to read Romans chapter 1. Read Romans chapter 1. The Apostle Paul says there that all men, for the wrath of God has been revealed from heaven against men. Why? All men are guilty before God and deserve the wrath of God because they know him, but they do not seek him. That's what the Apostle says. They know that the God of the Bible exists, and yet they have not sought him. And again, in Romans chapter 2, verse 12, the Apostle Paul says that those, check this, this is important, those who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. What does that mean? It means that those who do not know the Scriptures will still perish without the Scriptures. Even though they did not know the Bible, they are still guilty and condemned for their sin. Brothers and sisters, there are no free passes into heaven without Jesus. There are free passes. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But there are no free trips to heaven without Christ. Apart from faith in Christ, all will be condemned. Furthermore, just real quick, if never hearing the gospel means that you get a free pass into heaven, then evangelism is the meanest and most hateful thing you've ever done to anybody. 
If someone was on their way to heaven because they had never heard about Jesus, but then you tell them about him, congratulations, you've just damned them. I actually remember thinking this uh, whenever I was a kid. My mom's in the back row. I mean, no disrespect, mom. But I remember being so angry at my mom for taking me to church. Because <laughs> I was like, well, uh, I was going to heaven five minutes ago because uh, I didn't know about who Jesus was. But now that I've heard, I guess I'm going to hell. Thanks, mom. Right? I, that's, what, that's what I remember thinking. And it was good that she took me to church because this doctrine is not true. Right? But I do remember thinking, my mom has damned my soul by bringing me to hell or bringing me to church. Same difference as this doctrine is true. But listen, if, if people go to heaven because they've never heard, then the most loving thing that we could do would be to keep our mouths shut and never tell anyone about Jesus. That would be the most loving thing you could ever do if people go to heaven for never hearing. But God tells us that we must tell them, and God does not command us to harm our neighbors. So God commands us to preach the gospel because everyone is going to hell without Christ regardless of whether or not they've ever heard. So we need to tell them. Sinners will be damned if they do not hear the gospel and they cannot hear unless someone tells them. Christian, does this prick your heart? Does this not move you to tears when you really think about it? Does the fact that people are going to spend eternity in hell not bother you enough to declare the gospel to them? Let me say it again plainly. They will go to hell if we don't tell them. And may God help us if we are unmoved by that thought. Are our hearts so hard towards sinners that we can't be bothered to tell them the only message that can save them? God forbid. God forbid that we would keep this message to ourselves while the world perishes around us. God forbid that we would be so selfish as to know the truth to know their eternal fate without the gospel and then refuse to tell them out of cowardice, laziness, or apathy. How dare we call ourselves followers of the most merciful Jesus Christ and then show such cruelty to the world? Christian, we carry the good news and will we have such a message of hope and leave others hopeless? It doesn't make sense. God commands us to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, and that command compels us to go out and declare this message. But consider with me for a moment how much that you would have to hate someone to know that they will perish without Christ and then refuse to tell them the gospel. If we do not love, then we hate. And one of the greatest ways for us to love our neighbors as ourselves is to tell them of the Christ who saved us. Do you not thank God for the man or woman who came to you and told you of Christ. I am grateful for Pastor Stephen and, my, and the small group of friends that we have who came and told me the gospel when I was an atheist. Why? Because he loved his neighbor as he loves himself and he knew that Christ saved him and he wanted to see me receive that same salvation. And I'm grateful. This is the greatest way that we can love our neighbors. So let me just get real honest with you, and you might get mad at me, and that's okay. I've had people get mad at me for uh, other things, and I'm still here, so it'll be fine. But I love you enough to tell you the truth, and I want you to see things clearly. Please hear me. You must hate your parents to not tell them the gospel. You must hate them. You must hate your children to not preach the gospel to them. You must hate your unsaved spouse. You must hate your unsaved family. You must hate your cousins and your aunts. You must hate your nieces and nephews. You must hate your brothers and your sisters. You must hate them to not tell them the gospel. You must hate your friends. You must hate your coworkers. I have no other, uh, no other reason. You must hate them, or at least you must not love them as much as you think that you do. For you to know that they'll perish if they don't hear and then you don't tell them, you must hate them. You've heard this analogy many times. If you know that someone's house is on fire and you know that they're inside and that they're asleep and you say, I'm not going to go and wake them up. You must hate that person. You must hate them. 
And maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, Pastor Dave, I don't hate them. You're being unfair. I'm just scared. Love overcomes fear, does it not? Or, Dave, I don't hate them. I just don't want them to mock me. You're proud. And love overcomes pride. Or, I don't hate them. I just don't want to lose their relationship. Love risks everything for the good of another, even being willing to make them hate you because you're trying to do what's best for them. There is no excuse for us not to evangelize. They will perish if we do not preach to them. Let me illustrate what the unsaved are facing. Let me illustrate this for you. Imagine the gates of hell, and above them are written, and they will perish. And after the condemned soul spends a year there, the sign still reads, they will perish. And after a hundred years, the sign still reads, they will perish. And after a thousand years, they will perish. Ten thousand years, they will perish. Their suffering will never know any end, ever. They will be lost forever under the wrath of God with no breaks, no rest, no escape. One Puritan said, if you took one drop of water every century and dropped it into the ocean... Once you filled the ocean, after however many billions of years that would take, eternity has not even begun. They will perish forever. Christian, this should bring you to your knees in prayer that God would save sinners. And it should drive you in boldness to open your mouth and declare Christ to them. As Charles Spurgeon once said, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. Amen. Amen. And now we move on to a third reason. Why should you evangelize? Because some will be saved. Some will be saved through it. Verse 16 but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? It seems like an odd verse to get hope from, doesn't it? Paul says that not all who had been preached to in his day had obeyed, that is, believed and submitted to the gospel. And then he quotes Isaiah, where Isaiah laments that nobody would believe his message about Messiah. But notice the language Paul uses here. It's important. Verse 16, they have not all obeyed the gospel. Paul does not say nobody believed. He doesn't say that nobody submitted to Christ as Lord and repented and believed upon him. What Paul says is that many rejected Christ, but that implies that some believed. Many rejected, but not all. Some believed and therefore called upon Christ to be saved and were saved. We preach the gospel because we know that while many will reject the message and mock and hate and scorn us, that others will respond in faith. Others will respond in faith. This is one of the great promises of God. God has chosen a people for himself, and he will draw them to Christ through our preaching. I hope you know, especially with us being a Reformed church, I hope you know it's, your evangelism is not left up to chance. It's not left up to chance. God has chosen a people. God will save that people. Will many reject our message? Yes. But will others respond? God has predestined that others will respond. Now this, I don't deny, is a hard message that, that not all will believe our message. But again, we take hope in this and are encouraged. God will save some. He will work in the hearts of his elect and save them. And listen, he has people all over the world, in every socioeconomic class, every ethnicity, every religion. He said, what do you mean God has other people in, in other religions? Are you saying other religions save? No, I'm saying God's going to bring people out of those religions into Christ. God has people in every religion, every nation, every tribe, everywhere. And his people will respond in faith to the gospel and call upon Christ to be saved. So Christian, though we sorrow that many will reject our message and we do prepare ourselves for that heartache, nevertheless, we rejoice and are energized to preach the gospel because many will be saved. And so we will continue to preach. 
and we will endure whatever we must. This is why the Apostle Paul could say in 2 Timothy 2.10, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. We can continue to preach Christ to the world even when we're rejected by many because God has people out there who belong to him. I believe it was, was it Corinth or Ephesus that Paul was about to leave? I think it was Corinth. Paul was about to leave because the city was so pagan and God spoke to him and said, I have many people in this city. Does that mean there were many Christians in that city? No, not yet. Not yet. God had many people that he had chosen for salvation in that city. So he said, stay and preach. We evangelize because we know our efforts are not in vain. As I preached a few weeks ago, God's word will not return to him void. It will always accomplish his purposes. God's promises to save his people. God, rather, he promises to save his people through his church preaching the gospel. That's a good promise. And listen, that doesn't mean that we'll all necessarily lead someone to the Lord Jesus personally, but rather by our concerted efforts together, Christ will save his people and receive the fullness of the reward for which he died. That, Christian, is a great reason for you to evangelize. Sinners will be saved. But the fourth reason that we should evangelize, Christian, you have been sent. Verse 15 and how are they to preach unless they are sent? Paul says that in order for sinners to hear the gospel, someone has to preach. And if they're going to preach, they have to be sent. Now, I know that not all are called to be preachers in the formal sense. Right? When I say formal preaching, I'm talking about what I'm doing right now. This is formal preaching. Not all Christians are going to be called to this. In fact, I can tell you that 50% of all Christians are not called to this because they're not men. Not everyone is going to be called to this. And even amongst men, very few of them are going to be called to this. But I think that Paul is talking about here by the word preach is he means to declare Christ and what he has done to save sinners. This is informal preaching. Informal preaching that we can all take part in. You can do this. It's not just for ministers. But Paul says that you must be sent. Now, I want to be clear. I've read the commentaries and stuff. There may be a nuance here in this word with reference to missionaries or apostles being sent, church planters. But Christian, we do know this, I hope, that as a whole institution, the church has been commissioned to bear witness to Christ. We've been commissioned to declare who Jesus is and what he has done. Jesus himself said to his apostles in Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses. And that commission has been passed on from them to faithful men, down through the ages, and to us. Now, I'm not trying to do away with the fact that missionaries, preachers, and church planners need to be commissioned and sent by a local church. That's proper, and this verse does help us to see that. But for our purposes this morning, I want you to know that you have been, in a real sense, sent by God to preach the gospel to the world. You have been commissioned by Christ to do the work of informal preaching. And God sends you into the world, into your local world, to preach Christ. Christian, this means nothing less than that you are under obligation to Almighty God to do this work. He sent you. And since we have been sent and commissioned, we dare not refuse to, uh, refuse to obey. We dare not, right? No private in the military would ever reject the command of a general. How much less should we reject the command of our God and King who has sent us with a job? Christian, fulfill your calling. Right? Like I, I have people, everyone always seems to ask, right? What does God want me to do with my life? Right? Everyone asks that question, right? I've been in the game as a pastor long enough. People come a lot. What does the Lord want me to do? This. This is what he wants you to do. What about everything else? I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell me. The Bible does tell me that he wants you to do this. This is to be the one great calling on your life. The declaration of the gospel to sinners. Everything else, and I mean this, right? Everything else is just filling in the gaps. Where am I going to work? I don't know, but wherever you work, you're supposed to preach the gospel there. Where am I going to go to school? I don't know, man, but wherever you're at, you're going to preach the gospel there. Who am I going to marry? A Christian. Aside from that, you're going to preach the gospel. <laughs> Everything else is filling in the gaps. God has sent all of us, as it were, into the mission field. 
in some way. And so you are to dedicate yourself to this work in whatever way you can. And listen, I'm not trying to be foolish here. I recognize that our opportunities are going to be different from person to person, aren't they? Stay-at-home mother who's homeschooling her children, is she going to have the same opportunities as someone who works around four or 500 people a week? No. But she does have opportunities with her children that her husband may not to preach the gospel to them. Right? Some of you work in an office and you see maybe five people a week. Some of you work at a store and you see 300 people a week. Our opportunities are different. I don't deny that. But wherever you're at, with whatever opportunity you have, preach the gospel. And listen, I recognize that we don't all have the same abilities either, right? I, at, at, to risk sounding arrogant for a moment, I probably evangelize better than many of you. Why? Because I talk. I talk too much, some of you have told me, Keely, right? <laughs> it's, she's seriously meaner than she looks, but whatever. Um, but I talk a lot. The Lord has gifted me with an ability to be able to talk and think rather quickly on the fly, answer objections, right? God doesn't gift everyone in the same way. Maybe you're really good at writing and you're not good at speaking on the fly, but you can write something to someone, telling them of Christ, telling them your love for them and how you want them to know Jesus. Do that! Right? You get what, I, you get what I'm saying, we all have differing abilities, sure, but use whatever ability that you have. We all have different opportunities, absolutely, but use whatever opportunities that you have. This is our great calling. We've been sent by God into a lost and dying world with the message of salvation through faith in Christ. So go and spread it like wildfire. The Lord has sent you. Now go and do it. But as we end our time together, let's, let's summarize why we should be a church that is committed to preaching the gospel. First, it is the best news that we could ever tell. Second, sinners will perish without it. Third, God will save his people by the preaching of it. And fourth, we have been sent by God himself to do the work. Now, with all of that said, I'm just going to ask you one question. Will you do it? Will you do it? Out of love for God and his gospel, will you do it? In obedience to the commission of Christ, will you do it? Out of love for your friends and neighbors and loved ones who are on their way to hell, will you do it? Out of the encouragement that God will use you, will you do it? Will you preach the gospel? Or... Will you be like most professing Christians and refuse? Will you sit back and be a coward? Will you sit back in unbelief in the promises of God to help you? The Lord promises to help us to obey him. And for you, for you to not go, out, you, it's unbelief. Will you sit back in your unbelief? Will you offer up lame excuses that will be put to shame in the day of judgment? Will you be ashamed of the gospel? Please hear me. Please hear me. It will be so easy for you to walk away from a sermon like this and agree with its contents in theory and then absolutely shelve it and do nothing with what you've seen in the Word this morning. We do it all the time, don't we? And it's disgusting. I'm guilty of it the same as you are. It's disgusting. And if we do that, if we hear the word and we see the truth in the word and then just put it on a shelf and do nothing with it, then what we deserve is for God to rip the Bibles out of our hands because we don't care what he said. Praise God, he is more gracious than we deserve. But that is what we deserve. Christian, don't despise the word. Act upon it. As James tells us, be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. So then, what will you do? What will you do? Christian, I command you by the authority of the word of God, repent. If, if what I'm about to say applies to you, and I'm not saying it does. We have some bold evangelists in our midst, and I praise God for each one of you. But if what I'm about to say applies to you, you must repent. 
If you have been slack in evangelism, repent. If you have been a coward or apathetic, then repent. Repent of your lack of love. Get on your face before God and weep. And ask him to give you a heart that loves sinners and loves him. Because we evangelize for the glory of God. Because his gospel is worth telling. Repent of your sin of breaking the second great commandment to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And repent of your sin of breaking the first great commandment to love God and to honor him above all. Our God promises us forgiveness through Christ. But we must repent. And true repentance, please hear me, it will bear fruit, will it not? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, we're told in the word. It will bear fruit. And it will bear fruit in our amending our lives and beginning to evangelize in some way. Even if it's baby steps, there will be fruit. Please hear me. Christ is too worthy. The gospel is too glorious. Hell is too hot. Salvation is too beautiful. Eternity is too long. Souls are too precious and God's promises are too true for us to not preach the gospel. So by God's grace, we are, will continue to be, and will grow more and more in being a church that is dedicated to the work of evangelism. So Christians, set yourself to the work. It's not in vain. Declare Christ. Don't shrink back from it. See the beauty of the message and see the encouragement to do the work and go. Preach Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Our great God, we thank you for your word that cuts us like a knife. It reveals our sin and our apathy and our, our refusal to obey and our cowardice. It reveals all that. But Lord, your word also encourages us to, to do what you've commanded. So God, I pray that we wouldn't leave here just, just feeling loads of guilt for not being good evangelists. But God, I pray that we would leave encouraged seeing that you will save your people. The, the news really is good. You really have sent us and promised to help us. Help us to leave encouraged to go do the work. But not only encouraged, Lord, I pray that we would leave here with repentant hearts, even now that you would grant us hearts of repentance for not doing as you've commanded. And Lord, as we repent and we look to the Lord Jesus, who was the perfect evangelist, who loved us, and gave his life for us, for our lack of preaching the gospel, for our sin, we know that we are saved by him. We know that his blood has washed away our sins, and we glory in that. Help us, Lord, to submit to your word, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.